Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Private market asset managers and investors are working to demystify ESG and integrate the data that matters to portfolio company leaders for risk assessment and value creation. Novata is an ESG platform built to empower private companies and investors to collect, analyze, and report relevant data. Lorraine Spradley-Wilson is the Chief Sustainability Officer at Novata, which features a broad collection of ESG benchmarks at the core of its process in support of asset managers like Hamilton Lane. Joining Lorraine and I today is Paul Yett, Director of ESG and Sustainability at Hamilton Lane, an alternative investment management firm providing innovative private markets solutions to sophisticated investors around the world. Hello, Lorraine and Paul, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you. Paul, thank you. Glad to be here. We're very glad you could join us today, and we're going to jump right into the series of questions that we have for you, um, and and I'm sure that's going to drive our our conversation forward here as we're all dealing with uh, the smog of the Canadian wildfires in one way or another, right? So, Lorraine and Paul, why are investors increasingly interested in ESG data, and what is the business case for ESG? Lorraine, why don't you go first? Sure. It's a, it's a big question. It's it's one that Paul and I have talked about quite a bit. And, and you know, obviously at Novata, where we're talking about internally and, and with our customers. But there are a lot of um, driving factors, uh, some of which are regulatory. Um, so you see a lot of um, updates from global regulators where they're increasingly looking at ESG um, information, um, depending on the region, depending on the audience, um, there, there are different types of questions that they're asking, um, whether this is, you know, double materiality, single materiality, who's, who's the end recipient of this information. Um, so I'd say regulatory is a huge, huge driver. Um, also industry groups and Paul's no stranger to industry groups. There's a lot of power in peer learning and, um, you know, coming together to decide on a strategy. So I'd say those are two big drivers. Um, also other stakeholders. So who are your customers? Who are your investors? Um, all of those are, are different drivers behind, um, this increased focus on ESG data and, and figuring out the plan, um, to unlock this data. Okay, Paul, what about your perspective as an asset management firm? Yeah, look, I, I agree with all of what Lorraine says, and 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 she's right. We have discussed this a number of times. Um, I, I would also suggest that, like, for the limited partners, our client base, if you will, as we think about what, what drives them, it part of it's where they sit in the world. Some of their government entities there are very focused on the Paris Agreement, the Paris Accord alignment um, with being a responsible investor. And there's also been a notion around expanded fiduciary duty. So a number of folks think that, you know, I guess if I go back in my career to call it 15, 18 years ago, fiduciary duty for a public pension plan 
by and large, was highest, highest risk adjusted return. And that was it. But if I hear the discussion around today, it's much broader than that. There's talk of what's my fiduciary duty as it relates to the communities that we operate in, the beneficiaries that uh, that receive money from the pension plans. Um, what's my fiduciary duty as it relates to the environment, to being a good corporate citizen or investor? And all of that leads to the questions around ESG data. What do I have? How do I get it? Where is it? And a lot of it is also understanding risk. So when people think about, you know, why is this increasingly interested in ESG data? In a lot of ways, you just step back from everything and say risk assessment. You know, you, you mentioned Canada. Today on the news, I heard that every province in the country has a massive fire going. Every one of them. Early on, right now, this affects businesses. It's hitting you in New York with the smoke and quality of air. It's impacting everything. And it's risk assessment. What's the risk behind that if I'm operating private companies? Okay, so, Paul, according to Hamilton Lane's 2023 market overview, what percentage of private market asset managers are collecting ESG data? Uh, do you have some insights on that? And uh, Lorraine, you know, please uh, join in. Yeah, I'll, I'll first talk a little bit about how we go about getting some of this information. Sure. So, please. you know, we survey hundreds of general partners as well as LPs and sometimes which are limited partners as well as some of our, our prospects out there. But as it relates to general partners, one of the, the questions that we ask them each year is around ESG data gathering. And the question is within your portfolio of private assets, how much are you doing? How many companies are you gathering it on? What percentage? And so one of the questions that we have is, you know, if we think of your private holdings and you're capturing greenhouse gas emissions, at least at 50% of your portfolio holdings up to 100, so pretty wide range, but at least half your portfolio, what percentage of you are doing that? And the answer to that in our last survey is 37%. The survey before that, a year before that, it was like 21%. And then if I go back three years, it was 20%. So three years ago, 80% of the general partner community was by and large not gathering this information. Today, 37% are, which is a, you know, a, a pretty good gro growth. And I would um, expect that to incrementally increase as we go forward. The other thing that I would note in some of the surveys, some other data points that are interesting is 90% uh, of the general partners are conducting some level of ESG due diligence in their process. And that's gone up incredibly over the years as well. If we look at the signatories to groups like the ESG Data Convergence Initiative, it's over 200 today and growing. Uh, UNPRI signatories, they added another thousand in the last year, a thousand plus, and they're well over 5,000 signatories today. So this is all growing and it's going up to the right. Well, thank you for, for that uh, information. Um, 
what's uh, what's your perspective and Lorraine please I'd like your perspective on this as well uh, obviously there's regulatory infrastructure that is uh, coming to bear uh, if not already uh, in in the EU for example or in the US uh, the SEC rules on uh, carbon accounting are going to start taking place within the next uh, six months to a year how much of, of this uh, increased awareness and and um, data collection is focused on regulatory and how much of it is really based on a risk assessment uh, and value uh, assessment to the to the partners involved that's that's a great question um we're seeing a lot of adoption um in terms of reporting against these industry initiatives voluntary standards like the International Sustainability Standards Board, which houses um, SASB, um, well-known acronym in the investor community. Um, so it, depending on where um, the GP is located, you know, they're subject to some regulatory requirements, but a lot of this is voluntary. And um, and and you know, people are realizing that there's a lot of value in, in doing these assessments and looking at ESG metrics. Uh, because businesses that take ESG factors into account are resilient businesses. If you're thinking about um, your board composition, uh, the effects of climate change on your business, transitioning, um, renewable energy, workforce, uh, those are those are all factors that can make for a more resilient business if, if you've got the right right answers to those questions. Okay. Yeah, I, I would just add that it's it, it's also in some ways defensive. So, like, there are people understanding exactly what you say. The regulatory bodies are coming for the ESG data for things around environmental issues and climate change, and so some you know some are out there saying, "I need to get ahead of this now. I need to get a system in place to capture the data today." And then on our side of the table asset managers, limited partners, investors in the private markets are issuing ESG questionnaires at a fierce rapid pace. Like they're flying out to these general partners. So these the general partners are out there getting inundated with, with the data requests. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's mm -hmm. a challenge. Some are doing well with that challenge and others are kind of, you know, going, oh my God, how, how am I going to handle all of this? So what you've both done now is you've given us some reasons why people are collecting ESG data. Uh, Lorraine and then Paul, what are some of the barriers for ESG data collection and how are your firms uh, helping to reduce those barriers? Sure. I, you know, it's it's something that comes up uh, with clients and prospects. I'd say there are some common themes. Um, and uh, so some of that could be resourcing. Um, so having the right uh, number of people in place to look at across the firm um, responses to these ESG metrics. Um, some of it could be education. Um, you know, it's 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 there's a learning curve in terms of getting ready uh, to report on uh, your emissions or other um, environmental metrics. Um, so you know, resourcing, education systems, um, you know, whether you're you're collecting this kind of analog in, in a spreadsheet, there's still um, a, a setting up phase, 
um, resourcing in terms of dollars. Uh, so there is a cost for for some of this reporting, and that's something that not everyone's aware of when they're they're first coming to it. I think it's becoming a little bit more clear now. Um, some of the proposed regulatory requirements are, are coming out um, with more clear outlines of, of costs for for mandatory disclosure requirements. Um, but on the voluntary side, it's the strategy, it's having the team in place, resourcing both people and financially, um, and education. Those are some of the most common hurdles we see in terms of getting started. And Paul, how about from the asset management side? Yeah, to kind of pick up on the on uh, Lorraine's resource theme, that's clearly the biggest stumbling block today. And so if you look and kind of pull apart the market, if you look at the very large and call it the mega buyout managers, they have teams and departments and all sorts of resources at hand to capture data. They're the ones that are more responsive to the request. And they're also the ones that kind of get the, the higher score of, of producing that data today. But then you go down the line to the middle market firms, small market buyout managers and venture capital. And it begins to be very firm dependent. You can't say that holistically they're all the same because they're not, but it really comes down to resources and asking the question internally, do you have someone dedicated to ESG? Do you have someone dedicated to risk assessment? Are there multiple people? Where are you? And, and not surprisingly, the smaller the firms are, the less resource they are in that regard. The other comment though that I'll make today is we look at a lot of emerging managers, first time funds being set up. As they get set up today, this is so relevant to today. There's a bit of an advantage, frankly. They don't have a massive portfolio that they need to capture data on. They have folks like us and others asking for all sorts of information. They can have an opportunity to kind of set up their shop right from the onset, knowing this is part of how people conduct business today in the private markets. Yes, I, I would just Oh, go ahead, Lorraine. Go ahead. I'm going to add one more, you know, sure. Paul, your your comment about some of the firms that are earlier on got me thinking about lack of awareness too. So, um I sat on a um conversation yesterday with with lawyers focused on the impact investing space and it was interesting to hear them talk about some proposals coming out of the SEC that affect impact investors. And one of the comments was people may not know this is coming their way. This this disclosure on your your emissions, on um, progress towards your stated goals. Um, and so yes, there's a lot of feedback around what's in these proposed rules, but but just awareness is another one I would add um, to our list. Okay, good. Now, you've both given us a, a number of good reasons uh, for my next question, Lorraine, and that is, Novata has recently launched the broadest collection of ESG benchmarks in the private markets. Help our listeners understand what ESG benchmarks are and why they're a game changer for the industry. And Paul, please, I'd like your comments on this as well. Thanks, Paul. We're um, really excited about this launch. We'll be putting out more resources um, in the coming weeks. But you know, to start, Novata's focus is on collecting high, enabling the collection of high quality data um, on ESG metrics. And, and so, you know, it's important to just talk about the focus on quality because without 
quality without the guardrails, clear step-by-step metric guidance and and definitions, um, we couldn't produce these benchmarks. And so that was step one, was getting that in place. Um, And so where we are now is we're launching uh, 40 uh, universal benchmarks is what we're calling them. And um, it's uh, a way for our customers who have contributed to the platform to contextualize their performance on these different topics. And so in a vacuum, it's hard to understand if the data you've submitted, you know, is that good? Is it bad? Um, and so we we don't um, produce a rating or ranking. Um, this is really a tool for uh, people that have contributed to the platform to understand you know, where they can lean in, um, where they're actually ahead of um, private market participants and in terms of how they're they're coming out on these different metrics. And so it's a really important tool. Um, what I'll also add is just how you're able to use the benchmarks because this is really key. So um, you can put them in a public um, report. And so you can share with your end investors and you know, with your um, other stakeholders just exactly how um, you're doing within the context of you know, the other um, organizations reporting on our platform. So we we think it's a really powerful tool. We're excited about this launch and um, we'll be sharing more on, on how it's going over the, the next couple of weeks. Great. Well, Paul, I'm sure from a key perspective of a partner like Hamilton Lane to Novata that uh, these benchmarks are going to be very supportive of the work that you're doing in the private markets as well. Yeah, the work that Nevada is doing on this is critical. I mean, it, you know, first of all, the gathering of meaningful data, making sure that we have the information, right? We, we, we need the data to just understand what we have. But then, as Lorraine said, the importance around benchmarking that data, understanding, am I doing better, worse, the same as my peer set? How does that look? How do my companies look? How does my overall portfolio look on a risk basis? And why it matters is that there's there's pools of capital a lot in Europe that are moving towards sustainability, that are moving towards making sure that their dollars are going into responsible companies. And they need this data to to rank those companies and rank those managers and understand how how it compares to each other. While certain clients are more aggressive in that, saying that, look, these dollars have to go to someone that only scores the best. Others want to know what the journey is. They want to know that their managers, okay, maybe you're benchmarking, you're a little behind, but what's your trajectory? How are you going? And are you going with the market against it? All of that. It's just, it's more information. It allows investors to make better decisions. It allows investors to figure out where their compass is, what matters to them. Maybe it's diversity, maybe it's environmental, maybe it's climate. What what matters to you as an investor and how do you align what matters to you with your investment basis? Right. That that focus on improvement is is really key. And, and that's where we see um, Novata and, and our ecosystem of, of partners being able to make a, a big impact. So, Lorraine, let's dig a little bit deeper into this process that we've been discussing. What are some of the key metrics that you see limited partners and general partners requesting from portfolio managers in this process? 
Great. Um, we see a lot of interest in um, actually the uh, ESG data convergence metrics. So there's there's a lot of focus there. No surprise, we've been promoting that as our baseline metrics um, since our commercial launch. And so it looks like that has really stuck. Um, so we're, we're happy to promote the, the work that they're doing. So some of those metrics include scope one, scope two emissions, um, but we were also surprised and, and saw gender pay equity really rise to the top and net zero um, policy. And so that's that's um, a small subset. I say on top of that, there were metrics that we've we've heard a lot of GPs engaging their portfolio companies on uh, for quite some time, and those are employee health and safety metrics. Um, so employee injury. Um, illness and fatality were, were also, um, high up on the list. And, um, we expect that that will probably continue just given the industry group focus there, both, um, ESG data convergence initiative. And now we have the, um, credit, um, group that's come together, uh, IDP, the, um, integrated disclosure project. So expect to see that continue. Um, and uh, there are also resources wrapped around these different groups. So, you know, whether or not you have a policy in place for net zero, for example, is something we're tracking. We're also working with an ecosystem of partners for people who don't yet have that and are looking to really make progress. Okay, so now, Paul, this would this question wasn't on the list, but I was just thinking uh, how how much of the focus on these types of issues that you've just been detailing a little bit has developed uh, as part of the process of going through the pandemic in your experience? That's a great question. You know, we have, um, as an organization, Hamilton Lane's been in business for 31 years. We started 12, 13 years ago issuing an ESG questionnaire to all of the general partners that we're doing final full diligence on. And if I kind of look back at the responses of those questionnaires back in the day, they were very light. They were, you know, as you would expect 14 years ago, they were sort of like, oh, okay, here we are. Pandemic accelerated those questions, the responses, the thoughtfulness around it in many different ways. I think um, one with a lot of social unrest that we came to light, in 2020 in a big way, there became a real big focus on, on the S, the social side. And, and, you know, and some of that is around health and safety. Some of it is uh, income in disparity. Some of it has to do with um, gender and, and ethnic equality. But that really did come to light in a big way. And the conversations changed across the board. So we started hearing public company CEOs talk about this. This was not just a small group sort of talking about diversity or whatever. It became a much broader conversation in a, in a, in a big way at, in the pandemic. And I would say the same is true for some of the environmental concerns. I think, you know, again, as at the onset here, when I mentioned what's happening in Canada today, people are figuring this out. Like people are really concerned. And this is, again, the sentiment and, and, the area of focus around environmental issues around uh, global warming has just amplified during this pandemic period. Okay. I think Thank we felt vulnerable much. at that time too. <laughs> 
I, I, I certainly agree with that. I think there, uh, the, um, I was speaking to other podcast guests earlier today about this, this very topic and the vulnerability that, that all of us, I think, uh, um, um, have experienced of just understanding that the world can change in a very short period of time very dramatically. Uh, and that kind of takes me, I guess, to our next question. Lorraine, uh, you first and then Paul. Uh, what has been the biggest st step forward for ESG in private markets over the last few years? Oh, over the last few years. It's an interesting question. I, You know, what comes to mind immediately is coordination. So hmm. um, I know we always say, well, we're really plagued by fragmentation. We are trying to, you know, learn from what um, has worked in in the public equity space. But I, I would say I've been surprised on the upside by the the level of coordination in the in the private markets. Um, the the um, the amount of peer learning of coming together, I, I think it's really important. Um, you know, we can look to the standard setters, and and we do at at Novata. We we really leverage a lot of the work of the International Sustainability Standards Board and um, and work closely with industry groups. Um, and so it's it's the coordination. So if you're a standard setter, you're actually asking for public comment. Um, so you're putting out your work, you've worked with industry experts, but then you put it out for comment. And, and that's something that we've taken advantage of is you know, making sure our, our voice is heard, our customers are heard, whether it's the SEC asking for feedback on the uh, proposed climate rule um, or the the um, International Sustainability Standards Board, and, and it's something we plan to keep doing. But that coordination is key, um, so that really the the end product um, meets the needs of the different stakeholders. Terrific, Paul. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, I would I would take it um, a slightly different vantage point of looking at opportunity set, and mm -hmm. so in kind of two ways. One, I you know. First, there's been a lot of growth in the private markets over this five-year period in general, but there, if we, and and ESG factors into that in that a looking at it from a risk framework perspective. But if you drop that one level down or two, however many levels you want to count, uh, <laughs> the next notion is around sustainability. It's around impact investing, and that is different from ESG. I want to be clear about that because ESG for us is risk assessment. And then some investors choose to invest in products that have impactful outcomes or sustainability as a focus. That focus and the level of growth in products and capital going towards it, maybe it's a shop that's going all renewables or something that's focused on healthcare benefits and amplifying those across the board. Those products are growing and growing fast. A lot of generalist general partners will come and and maybe carve out a specific niche around uh, impact investing or sustainability. So that's something I've just seen that has really taken off over the last five years. There weren't a lot of products that were labeled as impact funds or sustainable funds or otherwise five, six, seven years ago. But today there's a number of them. Investors have a lot more choice in the private markets in that regard. Yeah, I think that's terrific. I'm, I'm for many years. I worked primarily in the in the public marketplace, and ESG, as you know, has been around for some time there. But there was always this concern: why isn't it filtering down or filtering up? 
into the private markets, but that certainly is is happening now. And and I completely agree with you that the momentum is dramatic, and I think a lot of people are excited about that. So let's focus on one last question with both of you, Lorraine. Why don't you start? Uh, what's the future of ESG and the private markets? Once again, going forward, you can uh, say three or five years, or however long time frame you're willing to to risk your 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 uh, response for. <laughs> sure, let's let's go big. I'll, I'll look at five years. Okay. Um, so we we talked about the coordination. Um, I um I also uh, keep coming back to this idea of what's happening within these industry groups. I'm, I'm really bullish on these industry groups, and um, I have spent the past two weeks actually traveling to different industry conferences and have just met some groups um, that weren't on my radar before that are really working um, to target the specific challenges that they they face as an industry. Um, I'll highlight McCormick, big spice company based in the Washington, D.C. area, working with their suppliers. So that's my next one where I think um, this coordination, the industry focus is, is key. But supply chain, um, just how much uh, a large company that has a good handle on this reporting can do to help their suppliers along. And that comes up for us um, at Novato when we think about scope three who's in your value chain, um, how can you positively influence them? How can you actually just share out of your playbook you know, what's worked well in terms of accessing the data or your own strategy towards decarbonization, for example, or addressing worker issues or training, career development? Um, so those are, those are a couple big ones. Um, what else is coming is more disclosure requirements. And so we touched on this um, briefly, but we, we talked about um, you know, generally what's going on in Europe to be more specific, um, CSRD, the corporate sustainable, um, reporting directive will actually impact 50,000, uh, EU companies and conservatively 10,000 U.S. based companies. So, you know, those are, those are the SMEs that, that we're engaging with, you know, regularly. Um, this is the big lift, uh, with some social metrics, which we haven't really seen, um, as a core focus in, in, in Europe to date. And so um, I'd say, you know, more regulation, both in the EU, UK, US, and, and yes, I'm, I'm excited about the work that's underway in these industry groups um, and within, you know, the standard setting organization. So th that's my list for, for five years out. Great, Paul. Yeah, I would say in the, in the short run, um, the statistic I gave earlier around 37% capturing 50% of their portfolio or more on greenhouse gas emissions, that, that number is going to grow exponentially. Mm. We're going to see a big increase in um, the, the level of reporting, the sophistication of, of reporting. And this is why, again, the work that Nevada does is so critical in helping this because we have to get the data first. And so that's going to be the near-term focus it is today. And I think for some, they look at it, some investors feel like, oh, this is maybe a nice to have, but with regulation and with other people and their, their constituents standing up saying, this is, again, what I care about, it's quickly be becoming a need to have. So those scoring, benchmarking will matter. It'll matter in the value of companies. So even if you're sort of not 
buying into ESG as a risk framework. If you're building a sustainable company with certain metrics that get better, better credit score, better interest rates at, at your lending institutions, supply chain issues that don't have challenges, the value of your company will be better. And so that is, I think, where where it's headed. I think there's just going to be a lot more competition around this, a lot more disclosure. Uh, and then the robustness on the reporting will be pretty intense. But we will and we'll need we'll need partner partners like Nevada to kind of help satisfy those requests because they're coming, they're coming fast. And in five years, I just think it'll be ubiquitous. Great. Well, thank you very much today for spending your valuable time with us, Lorraine and Paul. Where online can our listeners learn more about Novata and Hamilton Lane? And how can they get in touch with you regarding questions about the topics that we've covered in today's Sustainable Finance Podcast episode? Thanks, Paul. Um, Novata.com is a great place to start. We publish ebooks and um, other information on our site that are just available to the general public. So I'd start there. And you can find me on LinkedIn. That's um, that's the fastest way to get, get a hold of me. Um, so Lorraine Spradley Wilson on LinkedIn. Great. Paul? I'll echo the same. Uh, HamiltonLane.com. There's a lot of information about our organization, our footprint. We are also a publicly traded company, so that you, there's no shortage of data out there on who Hamilton Lane is. Um, and then for me, LinkedIn works as as well as um, just emailing me um, at P-Y-E-T-T at HamiltonLane.com. That's my email address. I'm, I field a ton of questions and information and products and all sorts of things through there. So, you know, feel free to reach out. Great. Well, thanks very much again, Lorraine Spradley Wilson, Chief Sustainability Officer at Novata, and Paul Yet, Director of ESG and Sustainability at Hamilton Lane. And to our listeners, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Music